Right, we're continuing our Assured series on 1 John. So we're now moving on to 1 John and chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 17. So 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. When I started preparing this passage, I think it became evident fairly early on that there's about enough material there for at least three sermons, if not more. So I can only pick on a few aspects. So if you can see in this passage things I don't mention, it doesn't mean they're not there. It means I haven't got time to cover them. And thank you to Pete and the others who've shared uh, already today and in the songs in this Uh, words in the songs we've sung because they cover some of the aspects which I haven't got time to cover Uh, because I think the more I look at this sort of passage the more it just comes home how basic all of these things are to our Christian walk and when I was reading various commentaries I found something I think in uh, Tom Wright's one, which I found very helpful. He drew an analogy between the way John writes 
with sort of singing songs and hymns. Now, as Sam mentioned last week, if you read Paul, it tends to be sort of da 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 through a list, therefore this, da 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 therefore that, and so on. If you read John, it tends to talk a bit, come round, do a bit something else, come back to the first bit, go on a bit, come back, go on, round and round. And he drew an analogy between, if you like, some of the hymns, like some of the ones we've sung, where you go through scriptural truth and it's taking you on a journey. But you get other ones where basically you've just got the same bit and you just repeat the same bit time and time again. Now the point is, it's not that one is good, the other's bad. It's that we need both. We need, if you like, the logical progression. What we believe is truth. And therefore it's not just random thoughts. There is it does follow from one thing to the next thing. But also, there are things which we need to just meditate on and let them get into our brains, into our hearts, into our lives. And until we get the basic things really embedded in, there's no point with the other stuff. So we need both. We need to really keep reminding ourselves. You know, you might think, oh no, this is basic again. Yes. But I know in my own life that I know basics and then don't follow them. You know, it's, as I think it's come out already, it's no use knowing something if it doesn't have any impact in our life. So when I read that, that was a bit of a reassurance to me, because I have a feeling these days that whenever I preach, I preach much the same sermon, but with slightly different aspects to it. But I don't know if that, at this stage in our church's life, I don't think that is particularly wrong. Because I know we've got people away at the moment. But we want a lot more people in the church than we've got now. Even if we had all these seats filled, we'd want more people in. Because Jesus' news is good news for people who are hurting, people who are lost. Therefore, we want people to know. But unless God puts in us that desire, which is, you know, that's already come out in other things, we could just end up being a comfortable group, sitting around, hearing sermons which just reinforce what we already think and know, but not really having any impact. I don't know whether it's because it's, this is basic or whether it's the sort of thing which is, I think, uh, just uh, impacting large bits of the Christian uh, church at the moment. <coughs> but, you know, almost, if I look at my Twitter feed, I could almost get all the quotes I want off uh, just reading uh, uh, what various people have been saying. But one I saw this morning, I think this was meant to be an encouragement for preachers, it was on the lines that uh, no, nobody's going to object to your exegesis of what you say the Bible says, but they might get upset by your application. Nobody is going to upset, get upset if you preach about sin, 
unless you preach about their sin. And nobody is going to really get worried about prophetic words which are bought, unless it, well, in this bit it said, because the American one, it impacts their tribe, but impacts us. You know, the sort of people we are. When you think about it, that's true. Because I know I'm like that. You know, it's very easy to like generalities, but once things start coming and affecting us, it's very easy to find, want to find excuses to avoid what God is actually saying. Right, none of that is in my notes, so, uh, but that sort of comes out, I think, from where I think God's been taking us so far. The title, my actual passage is from verse 3, but I reread verses 1 and 2 because that's the context of verses 3 to 17. And the title Sam gave me was In with the Old, In with the New, talking about the commandments. I think the title I would use is Do Not Deceive Ourselves. Because I see particularly in this chapter, the first bit is dealing with us deceiving ourselves in some ways. And the second half of the chapter, which I think Sam will speak on next week, is with deception coming in from outside. But I think the biggest danger comes when we deceive ourselves. Because we know exactly how to deceive ourselves. So, how do we avoid it? I think the first thing we have to do is to be very aware that we are capable of deceiving ourselves. Be very aware that the culture we live in tends to program us to think in certain ways. Now, for different people in this church, the culture you live in or the culture you grew up in is going to be different. And therefore, what you find easy and the assumptions you make will be different because the culture is partly affected by the family you've grown up in, the people living around you. Particularly when you go to university, other people of your generation at university and how they're thinking. And it's easy to take on cultural things without being aware of them. So that when scripture challenges those, the immediate thing is to then become all defensive or to ignore it or think it says something else. Very trivial example to illustrate the point I'm trying to make. I'm sure most of you have seen something in the news of our recent uh, Russian visitors to uh, Salisbury and their tourism visit there. Now, certainly in my Twitter feed, a lot of people were making fun of the fact that these Russians who are used to cold winters got put off by the slush on the pavement at Salisbury and went off. Now the interesting thing is that would make absolute sense to a Russian. Because the one thing Russians don't like, and Lincoln confirmed this in our conversation with people in Russia, is what they call an English winter. When the temperatures are around freezing, and things start melting, get slushy, and then freeze again. 
What they want is a nice Russian winter where the temperature's about minus 25 at night, mm -hmm. minus 15 in the day, the snow falls, it stays there, it's hard, you can get on with your life. When I went to Russia once in February, the weekend had got just above freezing and things had started melting. I got to the town I was city I was mainly visiting on the Monday, where it had gone down to a nice safe minus 15 again. But everybody was complaining about the fact that it had been slushy and then frozen and everybody had been falling over and breaking legs and so on. So it's one of these things. Something which to us was seeing wimps, to them, with their background, was seen sensible. So, but unless you know you've actually been outside your own culture, it's very difficult to know what things you are taking for granted. So this is one advantage for those going to university when you're at university. You've got a chance to meet people from different cultures, whether from other countries or this country. And so take advantage of it. Get to know people. I think for all of us, one of the things is to get to know people who are not like us. And that's difficult because we always want to be with people like us. But then that starts flagging up cultural things which you've assumed, maybe you've assumed into the way you read scripture, but actually it's not scripture, it's cultural. Because when we're looking at scripture, we are not looking to reinforce some culture from the past. Our morality is not Victorian or any other period in the past. Our morality should be scriptural. But it takes time and it's difficult. But if you always stay within the same community of people, you're never going to get your cultural assumptions challenged and really become aware of what they are. I say that because when we come to verse 3 here, it says, and by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And then the opposite in verse 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, in our culture, that sort of thing is a bit difficult. Particularly within our church culture, we want to be very strong on God's grace. We are very strong that we come to God not because of anything which is of merit in us, but because of the merit in Jesus. That comes in verse 2 where it says he's the propitiation for our sins. So, the first thing we need to remember is that the first thing we do is we come to Jesus as we are. He deals with our sin. We do not deal with our sin so that we're good enough to come to Jesus. I, th I think Pete uh, expressed it in the past by saying, you don't get yourself well enough to go and see the doctor. You know, you see the doctor when you're ill because it's the doctor who's going to make you well. So we come to Jesus when we are sinners, when we can't, there's nothing to justify us coming to God, but because 
Jesus has taken that punishment for us. So we need to remember that when we're looking as we've been talking about up to now, that we want to witness to people outside the church. We want to see people who are not yet Christians coming in to hear God's word. So when we're doing that, we are dealing with people who are not because they are not Christians, there will be things about their lifestyle which as Christians we would not approve of. Ignoring for the fact there's things within our own lifestyles which as Christians would not improve of. But that is not the point at that, at that point in time. The point at that point in time is that these are people who God, Jesus has died for and he's calling to respond to him. But once we have been saved by our Lord Jesus Christ, how do we show that we are being saved? Because it's changed us. And therefore we want to, as it says later in this uh, chapter in verse 6, we want to walk the way Jesus walked. We want to follow his commands. So, what are his commands? I think we always have to read John's letter and letters in the light of John's Gospel. And if we look at John's Gospel in chapter 15, and from verse 1, this tells us something about Jesus' commands. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can, they, can you unless you abide in me. So we need to abide in Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's the verse most people like in this passage. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy might be full. So, it's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment. It's the commandment that we love as Jesus loved. Because when Jesus met with one of the scribes, I think it was, and asked him to express uh, what was the 
basis of the law of the commandments, it was love God and love your neighbour as yourself, which was a generally accepted abbreviation of the day. So the commandments of Jesus ultimately come out of the love of Jesus. And any cultural idea we have that commandments and love are contradictory, we need to deal with. Because any commandments of Jesus come out of his love. We need to be particularly careful if we ever get into a way of thinking and for some people it would be more explicit, for others it would be more implied and made slightly less uh, uh, clear, I think. But if we start thinking in terms of, I can't believe in a God who, or if we're making it a bit softer, I'm not really sure about this commandment, or something like that. It's an easy phrase to use, but I don't think really most of us think about what it really is saying. If we're saying, I can't believe in a God who, it's effectively saying we want a small domesticated God. We want a God who's small enough for me to understand. We want a God who will only say and do things which tie in with the culture in which I live. It's always easy to see the cases in situations which don't directly impact us. So, in terms of some of the Christian stuff I see on the internet, a lot is coming through, if you like, from America, where you've got the implications with white evangelicals, inverted commas, and Trump, and so on. And issues of racism in the church. And it's easy for us, in our culture here, to sort of go tut tut, whatever. You know, I would never be like that, whatever. But if you only ever lived in that kind of culture and you've never been exposed to anything else, it's not necessarily that easy to see that. But we will all have equivalent things in our culture and in our lives which we find difficult to see. And if somebody challenges us, we can get defensive. I know one of the things I always get challenged when we've had visitors uh, from the New Frontiers churches in Africa here is they're always a challenge to me on evangelism. Because they will tend to speak to everybody about Jesus while I tend to look for appropriate opportunities. And I rarely find them. 
But, you know, we're going to get challenged. But, there are going to be situations where we're going to find, yes, it's difficult to know, how can a God of love say that? And within the culture we live, there are going to be difficulties. But, the answer to that is not to say, because I can't understand how a God of love would do that, therefore, God isn't a God of love. Sometimes we just have to go to God and say, look, I don't understand this, but I trust you. Because ultimately, we are not here as Christians because we signed up to a list of laws or commandments. We are here as Christians because Jesus loves us. And he's poured his love into us. And even when we rejected him, he didn't give up on us. And even if we struggle in the future, he will not give up on us. Even if we go away from him in the future, he will not give up on us. Because he loves us. And because he loves us, we need to love other people. Whether it's people we find acceptable or not. One of the most challenging uh, tweets I've seen recently is from an African-American. At the time when you had some of these white supremacist marches in uh, the States. And this person mainly tweets in terms of things to do with racial justice and so on and he tweeted you know to Christians saying remember it's highly likely some of those people in those white supremacist marches are your brothers and sisters in Christ how they could do that and be Christians is another issue but because people are Christians doesn't necessarily mean they're always going to behave the way Jesus requires them to. So we always need to be very careful about not getting judgmental about other Christians. Even if sometimes we'll find some of them extremely frustrating and annoying. And wish that they'd just go away and shut up because we don't we feel that what they're saying is distorting the truth of the gospel and other people are picking that up. But the thing is, if we can see that in others, the question then is, what is there in my life? Because that's always challenge. I try and do, if I get challenged by some other people and I think, how can you do that? I always try and turn it to myself as well and say, well, am I doing anything which is equivalent? Because otherwise you're just getting into self-justification, self-deception, looking at others and saying, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person. I forget who said something like that in the Bible. But that's the easy thing to do. The difficult thing is to be like the other one who says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner.
And so, let us love people who we probably wouldn't necessarily want to know. Let us be willing for somebody else in the church to bring somebody in who we might think, well, what are they doing here? They're here because they are a sinner in need of Jesus. Same as you were or are. It's no different. Some might be more socially acceptable, some might be less socially acceptable. That's one of the difficulties I found when Lynn and I were in Kenya, because at that time we began to a Baptist church, and the uh, Baptist churches in Kenya had been set up by the Southern Baptists from the United States. And of course, the reason the Southern Baptists were set up was so they could, so that slaveholders could go out as missionaries. And so that's almost built into their foundational bit. How do you reconcile that? I don't know. I leave that in God's hands. But it doesn't mean it can't always be difficult. But God can work things through. And he can change you. He can change me. He can change us as a community. Because I think, again, it's important as a community so that we are able and willing to accept people who are not like us into the church. Well, as I said, I haven't even got partway through my passage. But, let's just go back to John's Gospel again, and chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, You'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, have love for one another. So that's our new command. Let's love one another in the church. Let's love people outside the church. Let's walk as Jesus did. You know, I'm not sure there's any reference in the Bible to Jesus running. Though there are references in Paul to running the race. But whether we run or walk, let's do it as Jesus did. And when that challenges our assumptions and our culture and our prejudices... Let's bring them before Jesus and let him change them so they're not who we have been. As we come together, let's break bread, drink the wine. It reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. That is why we're here not because of anything else. Following his commands is because of what he has done for us. So that is ultimately what we always come back to. It's also a reminder that as we sang earlier, Jesus is coming back. This life 
with its uncertainties, its annoyances, its sicknesses, its things we don't understand, is going to come to an end. Jesus is returning and he will bring in in fullness his new kingdom which we already experience in part. So let's come, let's eat, drink and let's be thankful.